0: governments uh, were unable to regulate the food industry. And they're not going to be able to. It's just not going to happen. Um, fortunately with uh, people like you
1: and, uh, like and, you, yeah. uh,
0: and me that are out there uh, teaching the public and the people who are ready uh, to understand that we can do these radical things known as preparing our own food, meditating, walking, moving. That we can create health by our own choices. So yes, yeah, we can do amazing. This. Hi
1: everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am Nicolette Richet, and I am your host. And. Before we dive into this incredible show that we recorded a few weeks back with Dr. Terry Walls, and I know a lot of you remember this incredible medical doctor who reversed her multiple sclerosis using food as medicine. So everything we teach here is about food as medicine. And we have a second incredible show with Dr. Terry Walls where she is going to teach you everything that you need to do to reverse your chronic diseases, including multiple sclerosis, which is exactly what she did. But before we dive into that podcast, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge what is happening on the planet. Because when we recorded this show a few weeks ago, no one, Dr. Terry Walls, not myself, anybody could have anticipated what was going to hit us so readily, really starting in the beginning of February for most people in North America who might be listening to this now. But COVID-19 really wasn't on too many people's radars and everything was business as usual. But things have changed drastically and I just want to give you an update on where we are at and also just to reach out and say that we are feeling so deeply for all of the entrepreneurs that have had to shut down their business, which includes ourselves. We had to shut down seven, sorry, five of our restaurants and all of our corporate operations for our education, just because without any revenue coming in, there's no way we could keep our staff on. And it was the hardest thing for us to do was to really have to temporarily lay off all of our employees, which we don't even know what temporary means in this day and age, because everything is so unknown. But I've never felt something so deeply sad for that day when we'd had to tell everybody that it was their last day. And that was hard but i know that that's happening across the globe for everybody so i just want to reach out to all the entrepreneurs because i know that many of you will not open your businesses again because you and just like us we weren't you know ready to have to fund our business for 3 months maybe 6 months Uh, and through this pandemic. And so it is going to be a great loss for so many people, but it's also going to be a huge awakening as well as many people pivot their ideas, their businesses, and enter into a whole new world. I believe this is an amazing time for creativity, for self reflection, for really tapping into what your values are. And then as all of this lifts that you step deeply into those places where you can honor those values that you've come to recognize and maybe which you have lost and forgotten during the rat race that we call human society. So this time is a pause for reflection, it's a time for learning, it's a time for introspection, it's a time for being of service. So that's the second thing I wanted to say is thank you to all of those individuals, the individuals in our lives, the individuals that I'm reading about online that are going above and beyond and actually being of service to other organizations, to other individuals. Um, We have an Airbnb and a wellness center that we rent out when we don't have retreats going on. And you know, one of the things that Airbnb has done is they're putting $25 million plus an additional $10 million back into the pockets of people who have needed to rent their home as part of just trying to have a mortgage and trying to own a little bit of real estate and trying to have a secure spot for their families. And so they're putting money back into people's pockets. But even beyond that like truly the most magnificent work that i see happening is that you know these airbnb hosts are actually opening up their homes for free to frontline workers and that is a beautiful thing we see the food banks we see a lot of the nonprofits that are having volunteers come to them and offer their services during a time when you know, you could be binge eating, binge watching Netflix and all the other, you know, streaming sites, but instead these people have gotten up off their couch, they've gotten out from behind their fear and their anxiety and their panic, it's, you know, and to try and be of service to other organizations to help them succeed and get through this time. So I'm loving seeing that happen. And I'm just curious if you are one of those people who have decided to get out from under that haze of doubt and fear and panic and be of service to somebody else. And if you've lost your job, but you have decided to volunteer during this time, I want to hear your stories because we need to share those stories because truly that's when Literally, the village comes together. We are a collective global village with smaller pockets of villages. And, you know, it's really the village is what makes our societies strong. We are only as strong as our weakest link, I believe. And so when everybody rises up and they put their best foot forward, their best face forward, they put their hearts forward in lieu of everything else, that is when we see societies heal that's when we see communities come together um, based on, on similar values. And really, this is where we can see the change that we do need to see in the world. So share those stories with me because I would love to hear them. If you know of somebody else out there that has just done incredible things to support an individual in their community, an animal in their community, a business in their community, anything, please let me know because we want to share those stories on our podcast. Now, of course, we have to address and I want to address all the individuals that have family members that have been afflicted by COVID and of course all of those members of society our global society that have passed away suddenly as a result of this illness my heart goes out to all of the families and friends and communities that have lost someone to this virus because of the fact that it just came on so fast so suddenly Yes, it could have happened as a result of influenza and the everyday flus that we are, you know, um, that we're aware of that can affect us. But at the same time, when it's something like this, it just makes it that much harder because of the fact that it truly is so unexpected and because it's a global issue that's happening. So it's not just happening you know, to people in North America, but it's happening to people in every single country on the planet right now. So my heart goes out to everybody and I am so deeply sorry for the loss that you are experiencing during this time because it's already hard enough to not have work, to potentially be losing your business, to be laid off from your job, but then to have something like that that happen as well. It is a double whammy. So, As we move forward, I want to thank everybody for continuing to self-distance because this is so crucial that we do that. And for anybody who doesn't understand why we need to self-distance or self-isolate or at least be away from other people no matter what term you want to give it. But we need to do this to flatten the curve. We need to do this to take the strain off of our healthcare clinics and hospitals and especially to take the burden off of our healthcare workers who are right now just working 24-7 around the clock um, to be able to help people who have their already existing chronic health conditions, but then also to help the individuals that are now afflicted by COVID-19. So it's a double whammy to them as well. And I just want to say thank you to everybody for continuing to do that, despite whatever you think COVID Nineteen is about maybe you're not taking it seriously. Maybe you haven't, um, you know, thought that self-distancing is important and that it's not going to do anything. But we do know that it is. Helping to lessen the impact of this pandemic. So, thank you, thank you, thank you for continuing to self distance until, you know, really governments and our leaders um, are able to turn around and say that it's over and that we can connect again in person, face to face. So, many of you might be wondering, especially from the Eat Real to Heal perspective, what you can do. To optimize your immune system. And every single week, while we're in the midst of this COVID 19 pandemic, I am hosting a one hour webinar. It's a mini course, call it whatever you want, but show up at one o'clock Pacific Standard Time on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You can follow the link below so that you can register and get notifications when the webinar is going live. And I'm gonna walk you through. Everything that you need to do to optimize your health, not just for this pandemic, but for all future pandemics, because it's going to happen again, folks. And if you're in your 30s now or 40s or 50s now, and you're faced with another pandemic in 20, 30, 40 years, well, let me tell you something. You are going to be an elderly individual with potentially a compromised immune system. And I'm telling you, you do not want this virus to take you out in 20, 30, 40 years, or whatever new virus that's out there. You want to have an amazing immune system. And the only person that's in charge of creating that and giving that to you is yourself so jump on to our webinar follow the link below because i'm going to teach you everything that you need to do that goes way beyond just washing your hands self-distancing and coughing into your elbow but that actually goes into what you do in your kitchen what you do to support your liver how you support all of your organs and how you can use your home right now as a living pharmacy you have control over this and i'm going to teach you how and walk you how to do that so sign up for that webinar can't wait to see you online now the last thing i just want to finish with is take this time to learn please take this time to learn because you may never be given this time again or at least not for a long while where you have the opportunity to either numb yourself out right now or you have the opportunity to pick up a book or you can get a book on Audible or any other digital download um, online through Amazon, through your local bookstore. They probably have digital uh, downloads for you. But learn something about what it takes to optimize your immune system. So if you don't want to learn it from me, learn it from a book. Learn how to cook a plant-based whole food meal that doesn't have any refined sugar, refined salt, or refined oil in it. Learn a new recipe. Make it for your family. Or if there's kids out there listening to this, make it for your parents. Like Get involved in understanding how to turn your kitchen into a local pharmacy okay and pharmacy that's spelled f a r m a c y also take this time that if you're one of the many people who have attended our retreats or you know signed up as a client and they've said well i don't really like vegetables I'm here to tell you that if you just take the time to find a recipe to prepare your vegetables in a certain way that will feel good to you, that it'll taste good, that the textures will be right, maybe you want it raw, maybe you want it cooked, maybe you want it baked or steamed, it doesn't matter. But you just need to find a way to truly love eating fruits and vegetables in abundance because that is where the foundation of optimizing your health comes from. It's the foundation of reversing chronic disease. It's the foundation of optimizing your microbiome and so much more. So please take this time while we have time to learn, learn a new skill. And again, if you learn something, take a picture of it. Take your picture of yourself in action. Send it to me because I really want to know what new information, what new skills you're acquiring, and then you can, I can share what you've learned and what you've done with our collective community and all our listeners on the Eat Real to Heal podcast, and then they can learn from you. So let's allow that information to flow through all of us during this time because it is the way that we're all going to learn how to eat real, to heal, and how to live a long, vibrant life free of chronic disease. Okay, that's it for now. Let's jump into this amazing podcast with Dr. Terry Walls. Thank you so much for being here and please share this podcast with everyone you know. Have a great day. Bye. Hello everyone and welcome back to our Eat Real to Heal show. I am Nicolette and I am your host of this podcast where we interview scientists and doctors and healing heroes, humans on this planet that have gone ahead and decided that they wanted to reclaim their health, reclaim their life kick the chronic disease, get rid of the pain, the anxiety, the mental health illness, and all the other chronic illnesses that they are suffering from. So those are our true healing heroes when they decide to return to food as medicine and return to the principles of nature to be able to build resilience in their body and build sustained health. What I love about these healing heroes is that when they take that action to turn their health around, they become an inspiration and a motivation for thousands of other people who get to hear their story. So this podcast is all about sharing stories. And on today's show, I'm interviewing Dr. Terry Walls again. She was on our show just recently, but because of the wealth of information that she has, we knew we had to bring her back. Not only that, but she has her new book that is out. It is based on the protocol, the Dr. Terry Walls protocol, and she just dives deeper into all of the tools and resources that you need to be able to succeed in reversing your multiple sclerosis, in reversing all the symptoms of any other chronic disease that you have, whether it's an autoimmune disorder like type 2 diabetes or any other type of autoimmune disorder. could be heart disease, mental health illnesses. It works if you have infertility issues because ultimately it's like the program that I teach, the Gerson therapy. It's all about rebuilding your body and rebuilding the self-healing mechanisms in your body so that your body self-heals from whatever it is afflicted with. So your body has the disease as a result of your lifestyle, as a result of your diet and the stress and the lack of physical activity or too much physical activity. And What Dr. Terry Walls is teaching in her book is how to be able to use your kitchen as your local pharmacy to be able to reverse multiple sclerosis and the host of other chronic degenerative diseases that are out there. Now, she did it herself. She was for years in a wheelchair, not able to walk, and really the medications she was taking were not working. The treatments she was undergoing were not working. And as a medical doctor to really turn around and have that epiphany that food is medicine and then want to research it and then apply it to herself. And then to be able to get the results that she did is truly miraculous. It is amazing. And so she's an inspiration to other physicians, to other healthcare workers and health coaches, and ultimately to myself as well, which is why we have her here. Before we dive into that beautiful interview with her, let me just tell you about a few things that we have going on. We've announced our 22 million strong campaign, and this is where I, Nicola Richet, the CEO of the Green Mustache and Richard Health, I'm going to be getting my ass out of my office chair from behind my computer, and I'm going to be sticking it on a bike. I'm also going to be running, so I'm going to be biking and running from Pemberton. British Columbia, Canada, all the way down to California. My aim is that I want to meet Oprah because Oprah interviewed Charlotte Gerson decades ago and she had her on the show and Charlotte Gerson talked about the healing power of the Gerson therapy, which is food as medicine, which is all about plant-based whole foods as medicine. Well, that caused quite a stir in the food industry and food lobby groups. And so I think it's perfect timing for me to connect with Oprah again, as someone who has been teaching the Gerson therapy for the last 12 years, researching, Food is Medicine for 22 years, and I was directly trained by Charlotte Gerson. She has since passed as of February 10th last year, and I want to honor her legacy by Continuing to spread the Gerson therapy message, but also by continuing to spread the message that food is medicine. So, I hope you all join me on that tour. We're going to have links in the show notes. We're going to have links on our website so that you can find all the ways that you can support us, whether it's through sponsorship, donation, or by getting on your bike and riding with me or lacing up your running shoes and running with me at any leg in this journey from Pemberton all the way down to California. We're going to be stopping in hospitals and schools and um, health institutions of all kinds plant-based cafes you name it we're going to be stopping so that we can inspire and educate people to be able to turn to using all of the healing properties that are around us so the food and the sunlight and you know looking at soil regeneration and talking about all these important topics so that we can really work together to secure, food and healthy food for years to come for our communities and our global society. So join us for that. And now let's jump back in to the interview with Dr. Terry Walls. Thanks for being with us. And you know what to do after you listen to this podcast. Send us a note, tell us what you thought about it, but also more importantly, share it with those people that you love, that you know are afflicted by a chronic degenerative disease or those people that you know aren't living the lifestyle that is going to be able to prevent an illness. So they may not have it yet, but you know that if they continue to eat the way they do and live the way they do, that it's just a matter of time. So send them this podcast, inspire them to start taking action today. Welcome back everyone to our Eat Real to Heal show. I am Nicolette, your host of this podcast. And Once again, we have the incredible Dr. Terry Walls on our show. Welcome, Terry, back to our show.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: Yes, it's always a pleasure chatting with you because of the fact that there's two aspects that I truly, I just have always admired about you since I saw your TED Talk. One was that you are a physician and you have this scientific background and you're excited about the biology and the chemistry and the biochemistry, and that really shows But the second part is you're able to take that information and translate it into a way that people, the average person, you know, somebody, for example, who just gets recently diagnosed with multiple sclerosis or any other disease that they they can actually connect with you and say, oh okay, I, I, I understand what you're saying. There's a relationship yes. between nature, diet, and our disease. So that's, those are the two reasons why I just love having you on the show. And I know that our guests have also said the same thing as well. You're very relatable.
0: You know, one of my uh, favorite professors uh, taught me that at the end of every clinical encounter, you should ask them, what did they learn and what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. So I, I did that and I learned that I had to speak in ways that were relatable and use metaphors that could relate to them given their profession and their background Uh, and so my patients taught me how to talk using ordinary English uh, and ordinary metaphors. Yeah and it is challenging because um,
1: I know well not no it doesn't have to be challenging but I do know how you know anytime I go to speak in an event and you speak at a lot of events don't you You're very selective as well as to the events that you speak at. So I tend to be working with an audience who's never, ever, ever contemplated the fact that their illness has anything to do with their diet. And in fact, a lot of the oncologists and other physicians that write in their reports that they send them to me will actually say, don't bother changing your diet. Your disease has nothing nothing to do with your disease. And I've had many, many physicians say that to my clients. And so when I get into a room, I mean, I usually, I just taught a group of healthcare practitioners in New York City um, a few weeks ago, and I said to them, I said, you know, who here remembers the Krebs cycle and what it does and the purpose of it? And nobody put up their hand and, you know, and I said, well, who here knows what mitochondria is? And I love that was the title of your TED talk, (laughs) mind your mitochondria, which I just fell in love with that title. And they were like, yeah, I can't really tell you. So even at the end of the day, there's a lot of physicians who were trained to diagnose and then prescribe. So they are not really going back to those first early courses in biochemistry and chemistry.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of work. You know, it was a lot of work to memorize all that stuff and get through it. And then we got into clinical care and um, that's exciting. We're seeing patients uh, and, that's the stuff that we use, that basic science, that basic chemistry, uh, we forget. And then, of course, the new biochemistry, the new insights that we have about epigenetics and the microbiome, uh, we weren't taught uh, uh, in medical school yeah. when I went to medical school. Uh, and so there's all that new stuff that we're sort of, if you're lucky, learning. But you know, a lot of people, uh, they're too busy. They, they don't know any of that stuff. Right.
1: And for, you know, getting in front of an audience and when you're speaking to a group of physicians as well at a conference, I mean, are you diving deep just into the science or are you also, you know, taking it back a step and helping draw those analogies for the physicians as well?
0: You know, I'm helping them uh, understand. uh, So I I still talk a lot of biochemistry, a lot of Mm -hmm. basic science, so they know I'm not making this stuff up. Um, But I have to make it very relatable so that you can understand this if you're a neurologist, a oncologist, a rheumatologist, a psychiatrist, um, or a um, physical therapist, occupational therapist. So, so I will do this uh, grounded in science, but I teach them the science as I go, assuming that they too have forgotten it. Yeah. Uh, because it, uh, they probably have. Uh, and then I also spend a lot of time Uh, talking about how you talk to your patients.
1: And how do you talk to your patients? Because, so are you seeing,
0: um, are you currently seeing patients right now or are you just focused on your... So I'm still seeing patients and I think it's uh, important to continue seeing patients. Um, One, it's immensely satisfying and it keeps me current and grounded in in the practice of medicine. I also do research Uh, three days a week. I'm in with my research team. and I'll be in tomorrow morning. Uh, And then I travel the world, uh, you know, teaching uh, at conferences uh, all over the globe uh, to try and get this message uh, out. uh, And I teach the public as well.
1: Okay. So, for the audience, for the listeners right now who haven't listened to Dr. Walls' podcast on our show, go back and listen to that one because that's when we really dive into the history that has led Dr. Terry Walls to where she is now. So, being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, taking the best meds that were available, not seeing results, health declining, and then coming. And then really realizing that food is medicine, you made that discovery. um, And then you started experimenting with different, you know, diets and protocols until you were able to piece together the biochemistry and the science around food and nutrition and as it related to multiple sclerosis. And now Dr. Terry Wells, I mean, for some of you, most of you will be listening to this, you know, through your car phone or your headphones, so you're not going to actually see her. But she was in an anti gravity chair, in a wheelchair, in um, and now you are cycling and active, and you know oh, walking yeah. and doing all your rounds and healthy. I mean, you're one of the healthiest women I know now. Um, and so, for people who are listening, it's to know that you know multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune disorder, and it is related to our lifestyle. And because it's related to our lifestyle and diet, we have the ability to reverse the symptoms. Did I summarize yeah. that correctly from our last podcast?
0: Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I was—I had had 27 years of relentless worsening due to trigeminal neuralgia, uh, so electrical face pains uh, that were uh, really quite horrific by the end. I had seven years of relentless worsening of disability due to multiple sclerosis. Again, despite being the, be- the best people, taking the most drugs, relentless decline. Uh, but fortunately, I'd be, you know, I'm a scientist, I'm a, a physician, I'm reading, I'm experimenting, and I create this diet and lifestyle program designed meticulously for my brain. And because I, I knew I had this incurable disease, I had no expectation. That I would improve, no expectation that I was going to recover. I just wanted to slow down my decline as much as I could. And so I was quite stunned when I recovered, and quite stunned as I was getting stronger, and stunned as I'm walking again. And and then even more stunned when I get on my bike and I'm biking. You know, my kids are crying, my wife's crying, I'm crying. And then I bike 18.5 miles, and then we're crying, we're all crying again. Mm -hmm. And of course, this changes how I think about disease and health. And it will change uh, the way I practice medicine. And it changes the type of research that I do. Uh, In fact, uh, this is now uh, my uh, focus of research.
1: And that's the part that truly amazes me that I think that, I mean, even just that, you know, when you say you were, you know, walking and crying and biking and your family's crying and you're realizing that you're getting better. This is the part that I would have loved to be able to dive into your brain and experience those emotions and, and well, because of, right? Like, can we go there? Because that must've been massive because here, this must've been a paradigm shift for you.
0: You know, uh, when you have a progressive illness, neuro, neurodegenerative disease, and probably any progressive illness that you know is incurable, one of the strategies is you go through anger, bargaining, depression, and then you finally get to acceptance. And so I accepted that I was going to be bedridden, demented, and quite possibly living with the intractable pain. Uh, So as these uh, pains turn on, light triggers the pain, sound triggers the pain, uh, a breeze on my skin triggers the pain, touch by my children trying to comfort me triggers the pain, and I'm trying to hold still as they're comforting me and not grimace because I, I don't want them to think their touch is painful, although it is horrifically painful. Uh, uh, so, it, it, and in 2007, I, you know, I can't sit up, I'm uh, beginning to have brain fog, my pain is more, much more difficult to manage, I uh, have, dis- have discovered functional medicine, I've taken their course on neuroprotection, I have a longer list of supplements, I've already been on the paleo diet for four years, uh, and then I had this really big, aha, uh-huh. like what if I redesign my diet, based on what I was doing in the supplement form. So again, that's several more months of research, and I do that. And so on December 26th, I start this new way of eating. December 26th, like
1: the day after Christmas?
0: The day after Christmas. Okay. You know, and it's it's still a paleo diet. I'm still avoiding the same things. But now I've I've ramped up my greens. I'm uh, eating only uh, uh, organic meats. I'm uh, adding liver for the first time. I'm adding a lot more cabbage, onion, mushrooms. Uh, and so first thing that I realize is, you know, so at the end of the month, my my pain is gone. And then I realized I, I'm not as exhausted. And then the next thing is I can sit in a regular chair at, at supper. I mean, I, I can sit. I can sit up at the table, um, and then I, over um, about two months into this, maybe it was three, I have a letter to mail, and I, I decide that I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk down the hall and mail my letter instead of taking my wheelchair. So I grab my walking sticks and I and I. Walk down the hall, and my colleagues are, Dr. Walls, you're you're walking. You know, four years earlier, they said, Dr. Walls, what happened to you when they saw me in that wheelchair for the first time? I uh, and you know, I'm so I, I start walking with my walking sticks. And then I need, I don't need them. I'm walking around the hospital, and I can walk around the block at my home. And you now it's probably about, um, uh, four months into this way of eating. And I'm mentioning to my wife, like, cause I really like biking. And that was a big family thing that we'd done. I said, you know, do you think I could try biking again? Cause it had been, uh, five years, maybe six years since I'd been on my bike. And she said, well, you know, maybe if things keep going well, maybe this fall we can try. Then two weeks later, it was Mother's Day, and I decided I wanted to try riding my bike. So I was, I was in the garage, and I, uh, uh, my son, who's six foot five, almost six six, was riding my bike. So I adjusted the seat. I you know put it down, down, down. My kids heard heard me in the garage. They come running out, they grab the bike from me, like, no, 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 mom, mom, you can't, you can't risk that. We don't want to lose all this progress you made. So they're crying, uh, Jackie comes out and uh, we have this emergency family meeting, should I bike, should I not bike? No, uh, fortunately, what Jack decides is, she'll have my son, this big strapping boy, run on the left my daughter will run along in the right uh, and she'll follow on the bike. And we walk the bike down. We stand next to the curb. I get my leg, you know, we're all ready. And Jackie says, she's watching for the traffic. She'll give us the all clear sign. And she says, okay. And I, you know, I push off wobble a little bit and then I'm gone. My son's crying. You know, my daughter's crying and I'm crying. You Jackie <laughs> gives me a big hug. Because it was at that moment I understood that the current understanding of MS was incomplete. Mm-hmm. That the understanding of MS as an incurable disease, even progressive MS as an incurable disease was wrong. Uh, And that who knew how much recovery might be possible. Uh, So, you know, that was on Mother's Day, uh, May 8th. Then I kept biking a little bit further. Um, And then Jack saw that there was a, a big bike ride, uh, uh the Courage Ride, a fundraiser for uh, the mm-hmm. Cancer Society. So it's 18.5 miles. We thought, okay, that's pretty far. I probably can't bike that far. But however far I could bike, you know, I, I knew I could do eight miles because we'd worked our way up to that. So we we signed up, and, and I talked to my physical therapist. Said, oh yeah, I'll go for it. That'd be fine. I didn't tell my neurologist, if my physical therapist said it was fine for you to do this, that was good enough. And I did it. I biked 18.5 miles. So once again, you know, we're all crying. My, 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 my son and daughter are crying. Jackie's crying. I'm crying. I'm pretty tired. But I bet. <laughs> um, and again, it was so clear that how I practice medicine uh, would change. I, I, after that, I I spent much more time talking to my patients about what they were eating, what they were doing. Um, and as I got people fired up about eating vegetables, fired up about walking, and fired up that, yes, they could change the trajectory of their health. What, what I saw was, People were needing fewer and fewer drugs. I was getting people off drugs. The residents in the primary care le- clinic were like, yeah, that, they couldn't wait for me to go talk to their patients because they knew I had this amazing ability to inspire even the most hardened, grizzled, uh, cantankerous lady or gentleman mm-hmm. to get them willing to see that that's possible they could improve. And uh, so we, we saw some remarkable transformations uh, in that clinic so
1: that i mean your story resonates with me so deeply because one of my clients about seven eight, seven years ago, she was riddled with endometriosis and she was told that she needed to, you know, have a hysterectomy, and they had already opened her up once and scraped her out, all the adhesions, um, and then sent her home and said, you know, you have to take these drugs. They didn't make her feel well, and they said, well, and sure enough, her endometriosis came flaring back up, and I mean, she was riddled again um, with all the adhesions, so they said, oh, we'll just, and this was only within six months, and they said, no worries, come back in, we'll just open you up and scrape you out again, And, um, and she had not ridden her bike as well, for about four or five years, and so she did our therapy, which is very similar to yours. And for anybody that's listening, I know you heard, you know, Dr. Terry Well say mention, um, you know, or you know, healthy um, organic meats. And I know you have a vegan protocol as well, so we'll get into that later. But you know, she did our protocol. Um, which is fully plant-based and, you know, all the greens and fruits and vegetables and everything else that you need to rebuild your mitochondria and you need to rebuild your health. And, but that was the thing is that when she healed and it took about three months, but she was, after three months, she went from crawling from her bedroom to her bathroom and with two young kids running around and she couldn't take care of them to being able to stand in the kitchen, prep all her food on her own, make, you know, everything that she needed to do. And, and, um, after she was done the therapy and fully healed, that was the first thing she did is she went on a bike ride with her girls and she came back with tears streaming down her face. Oh, and no. I thought she had fallen. or was in an accident. I didn't realize what had happened. And she's like, I had not been able to ride a bike in, you know, four or five years. And it, and you really see that people do get their lives back. You know, it's those moments with your children where you can just move with them, right? That Absolutely. are so profound. So when you went back to the clinic and you started teaching patients, that, what did that look like for you? Like, how did you well, even start this?
0: You know, uh, in Iowa, uh, people grow a lot of corn. Yes. Uh, and many of our uh, patients uh, have uh, agricultural background. Uh, And so I'd ask them like, so if you want to have a champion steer or a champion swine at the county farm, state farm, um, but you're probably very particular about the food that you're feeding that animal. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, And so if you want a blue ribbon or a champion steer, you got to give them champion quality food. Absolutely. Well, if you want championship health, we have to start giving you food that would give you the championship body that goes with that and so they could relate to that or they could relate to if you don't test the soil and uh, fertilize the soil you're not going to get a high yield on your corn Uh, they could relate to that Hmm. or if they're in the mechanic world I would ask them so what would happen to your engines if you poured in uh, corn syrup in the engine would that gum up the uh, fuel line at all oh yeah hell no yeah If you had a Ferrari, would you be pouring that corn syrup into the gas line? Well, no. Well, you know, the same things are happening to you. And um, what you need to know is that uh, life is self-correcting chemistry. You know, if they can get the junk out of the gas line, because life is a series of self-correcting biochemical steps, their cells can as they're doing the chemistry of life correctly, rebuild these misshapen molecules and they can repair their gas line, they can repair the blood vessels, they can repair a considerable amount of their structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what people would discover is that yes, they could do this and that their energy improved, their pain diminished, their blood pressure improved. Their blood sugars improved, um, and that their quality of life uh, improved.
1: And you were okay. So these consults that you're having with your patients, so they a typical doctor-patient consult, like in the typical seven and a half minutes yeah. to fifteen minutes. So you're well. You know, the VA uh,
0: was a little bit longer, so we got twenty minutes. Oh wow, that's impressive. And and that's with the residents. So that I only have about five. Okay. Because the oh, residents wow. are you know doing their their spiel. And then I get about five minutes to tell the story, do the inspiration and make a suggestion. Then the resident uh, follows up on that.
1: And so in this, so this is really critical for everybody that is listening. Cause I think that this is, I feel it's the answer to doctor patient relationships across the globe that you go into the appointment, you have a sense of, who these individuals are, like, you know, a little sure. bit about them, you know, if they love cars, you know, if you they love agriculture, you know, if they're, you know, you are relating they're teachers, to teachers. I mean, I, I I know their occupational background. Exactly. So, so that's, so that's what you need to know. Awesome. So you need to know their occupational background, their age is helpful too, because then you can put it in context, right? Of the right era. Right. And then within that, you are able to relate to them and draw an analogy between diet and their health and whatever it is that they're interested in.
0: And, and they use metaphors that would work in a yeah. mechanical sense, uh, in an agricultural sense, in a teaching sense, uh, or in a I mean, I mean, I make it relate to their occupational interest. Interesting. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's brilliant, right? Because
1: I mean, it just, number one, it shows you're listening and that you care and that, you know, you are able to have that breakthrough with them. And then did these individuals, and I'm sure this applies to the residents because the residents are standing around listening to this as well. At any point, do any of these individuals feel that you were misdiagnosed, that you didn't have MS? Because I hear that a lot of times when my clients heal. And did anyone, um, potentially feel that you were just in remission at this point when you start teaching people?
0: So yeah, all over the globe, you know, when I first started talking about, you know, MS can be stabilized and reversed, you really have to address uh, diet and lifestyle. Huge pushback in the neurology and neuroscience community. Uh, they uh, said, I, I clearly never had MS because you can't recover. The dramatic improvement that I achieved is just does not happen. My physicians were incompetent. Yeah, uh, And so the University of Iowa was thrilled that I I went to see some of the best MS centers in the country so they couldn't be uh, accused of incompetence alone. And so my response to that is, okay, let's say that somehow all of my neurology physicians were incompetent and I didn't have that mess. Then we have the fact that I've done multiple clinical trials where we prospectively verify their diagnosis, enroll them in the trial, use my protocols, follow them, and see the outcomes and have consistently been able to show statistically and clinically meaningful improvement in quality of life and function. And I'll be starting my fifth trial. Which is so impressive, even if, even that if, is impressive. So even if, you know, I didn't have MS, I had something else. Even if that was true, the, fa- the, the most important question is have I helped others and have I done it in peer reviewed published clinical trials? The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. We have many papers out there. And then we could go to what are other physicians experiencing when they treat their MS patients using diet and lifestyle principles that I teach. And they find that their patients improve and their quality of life improves and the clinical outcomes improve. And then we have the millions of followers that I have who are coming in contacting us every week saying that, they have their autoimmune condition that was, um, could no longer be managed. And the physician places look, there's nothing else I can, I can offer you. And fortunately, someone tells them about me and they read my book and begin implementing the concepts. And they discover they have less pain. They have more mental clarity, a better mood. And then they discover that they got to start reducing their blood pressure meds because they're getting lightheaded or they have to start reducing their blood sugar meds because they're, they're, they're getting lightheaded because they're hypoglycemic. Yeah. And they realize that they're not taking their pain meds because they have so much less pain. And then they go see their specialist who says, damn, I, you almost have made a mistake because you, you don't really qualify, meet criteria for this disease state anymore. And I don't know what, what's going on, but you better keep it up. And so some of these physicians reach out to me and say, at first I thought it was crazy talk that you had, but <laughs> I, I, now I'm telling my patients to get your book.
1: That is amazing because I know in Canada, I don't know... I'm I'm really curious about this. The fact that we have you know socialized medicine up here that is you know been around for a long time, thanks to you know Tommy Douglas and all the policy work he did. That you know people just go to the doctors and you don't have to wait in too many lineups and you get your prescription. You go home and and nobody's really questioning the medical system the way that it's happening in the States. We know that Americans spend way more on alternative healthcare than Canadians do. We know, and part of that I think is because of the high medical expenses, right? And the bills and the high insurance and everything like that. So I, you know, imagine that people have a, um, Anyway, they're just maybe more curious into all the alternatives, but I know up here, and this has happened, like my daughter was disqualified from a clinical trial uh, based on, she had broken her um, radial head on her left elbow, and so she was part of a clinical trial that was happening through one of the universities, and she healed in six weeks versus the one year. And you know my kids have been raised on plant-based whole food diet, high nutrient intake, clean food, yes. it's all organic. And so they said, well, we have to disqualify her from the study because she's an outlier. And I said, don't you want to ask me what she's doing? And they're like, no, that's okay. Nobody can ask me. And I said, well, you should ask me what we do differently and why she potentially is not like the other children in the study and all the thousands of people that have been studied before this moment. And yeah. so, and I see it a, long, a lot too when, when my clients, because I'm not a medical doctor, so I have to work with the physicians and they get all the tests and they do everything and they see the results. They see the client come in on all these meds or be put on all these meds. Then mm-hmm. they come to us and do our program. Then the patient, the d- physician has to say, well, you don't need these meds anymore. You don't qualify for them because the symptoms are gone. So then they're off their meds, but. I can tell you this, very few doctors have asked yeah. my clients or asked me like, hey, what are you doing?
0: Isn't that and, interesting? It, that, um, and I talk about that, how how do we learn, how how do we learn something new? Mm-hmm. As as a species, it's very difficult because part of it, I'll explain why that is. There's so much information coming to us, to our brain all the time. Yeah. The big job of your brain is to filter out information into a manageable uh, pattern. So you and I have created patterns to understand the world and we probably ignore 99% of the information coming to us. Now, unfortunately what that means is it's incredibly hard to learn anything new mm-hmm. because we ignore most of that information. And so your physician colleagues and unfortunately, you and I do this, too. Uh, so they, there's new things coming in that are happening all the time. And because it doesn't fit into their pattern of how they understand the world, they ignore it. They ignore it. They ignore it. It's the rare individual who can finally realize, like, wait a minute. That uh, unexpected bit of information is really interesting. And why, why is it like that? And that curiosity is how you learn. Uh, it, it makes me much more humble about why people don't learn new things. It also keeps me humble about why, what are the new interesting things that are ha- popping up that I should be paying attention to? percent. I, I can't manage because um, in order to get by, I have to ignore 99% of the information coming True. through. This, so I have to be selective as to, What's that 1% I'm going to pay attention to? Yeah. That's a good uh, it's point. also why, you know, uh, um, you get a set of ideas, uh, people get a set of ideas. It is incredibly hard to change that. It mm-hmm. will ignore mountains of information.
1: Well, it definitely, it, you know, puts their. It, it, it's almost like it's holding up a mirror to their life and saying, okay, well, this is everything you thought you were and you thought you knew. And now you are being tested. You're being, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's your worldview. It's that shift that is being questioned and shifting, hopefully, if the person's curious, curious enough to want you know, to learn it, more.
0: It, 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 it will happen. It will take a while. Um, you know, I actually, I feel incredibly optimistic uh, because, I mean, in my own experience, in 2009, uh, nine, I started teaching you know, my, my concepts, and I'm uh, banned as a speaker by the MS Society for Creating False Hope. I, have to, I get chastised by my chief of staff. And okay, well, whoa, whoa. whoa. So,
1: sorry, let's go back. You were banned by the MS Society for Creating False Hope? Yes. Has yes. that been
0: changed? Well, yes. I'm gonna, I'll tell you that story. Okay. So, <laughs> we got to so get to that So, 2009, I'm banned. I, I have to go meet with the chief of staff um, because I, you know, Terry, what's going on? People are upset. They're complaining about you. You're being banned. Uh, and I, I uh, brought my stack of scientific papers, went through them, and I got some feedback about, you know, talking a little more carefully about this stuff in public. And so I, I changed how I document the record. I, I put out disclaimers when I spoke in the public. But I kept speaking because I'm a little socially awkward and I don't exactly follow directions the best. Love that about you. Yeah. And I uh, kept writing my little grants and I finally got a little trial going and we had a huge difficulty getting our, although we had strikingly positive results, like, oh my God, it was so difficult for us to get those papers published.
1: I remember and that I, first study. I remember everything. I followed it in the media. I followed the feedback. And I mean, I just couldn't have imagined yes. being you in that moment here, having done this trial and, and clinical trial. And then, or the first, was that yeah. one, a study or a clinical yeah, it trial? It was a
0: clinical trial. So we, we did, we did yeah. the uh, TED talk that, that went viral. Then I got my book deal. It had, you know, the book come out in 2014 uh, and then the MS Society had a wellness meeting and they tracked me down, got me to the, invited me and I said, well, you know, I, I'm gonna have to rearrange my schedule because I'm a plenary speaker at another conference. I have to see if I can get that moved. And, um, but you also have to address the fact I'm a band speaker and I can't come to your conference as a band speaker. So they apologized, they unbanned me. I went to the conference uh, and they agreed that uh, they would make diet, dietary intervention studies and um, lifestyle studies a part of the uh, research priority. Amazing. And so that was 2015. Then 2016, they f- gave us, my research lab, a million dollars wow. to conduct uh, a clinical trial comparing a low-fat swank diet to uh, the walls diet. We just finished that study. Uh, and we're analyzing the data. So I'm hoping we'll be presenting that in the fall, although it may be next spring. Right. One of those two times, uh, okay. that'll be showing up. And in the, just yesterday, so so now I'm I'm, I'm being funded. <clears throat> we're starting our fifth clinical trial. We've got um, uh, 13 papers that we've put out uh, on the previous uh, three trials. In the fourth trial we're well, in the previous four trials, we have 13 papers. Uh, and then yesterday, uh, I had this lovely conversation with a representative from Walmart, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, which is a uh, of Iowa. The health major health insurance provider in the state of Iowa wanted to know if I'd be interested in collaborating with them on press releases and educational materials for the MS population to get them fired up about diet and lifestyle and the research that I do. So I said, "Oh yeah, that, you know, of course I'd love to." So um, I'm talking to the copywriters; they're going to be writing these articles. And then they uh, said, "You know, and would we'd really like to come send a video team out to talk to you in your lab, maybe get some video of you biking." Said, yes, that would be lovely. So I've I've been for. Um, Five years wanting to find a partner in the health insurance industry to help get this message out. So mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm thrilled now that that's happening. Uh, and so I see the length of time it went from being banned as dangerous and harmful to getting research funding to being hailed as this brilliant visionary, in receiving international awards. That all happened in 10 years. That, which is a fast timeline it's a because fast
1: time. a lot of other doctors before you who understood that food is medicine, like going back, I teach the Gerson therapy. So this is going back to 1918. Yeah. And I mean, Dr. Max Gerson had to fight for his entire life and, you know, right down to like the death threats and the, you know, all his files being stolen and all of these things. So, I mean, he spent his whole life. So we, you know, and that was, you know, when I look at that history, I'm like, I just don't know how one person could do that for their entire life, be ostracized by the medical community, only have a few close colleagues who like understood the the work you that they're doing. So that's, I mean, it's hard work, but 10 years is also a long time, but it is fast in the history of medicine. It's, it's incredibly medicine.
0: fast. Yeah. The, the reason there, there are not many people who can do this and to do this well, there are a couple of things that uh, probably need to happen. One is you have to be a little socially oblivious. Great. Uh, That's a good point. Uh, so that stuff doesn't bother you. Uh, and it's probably helpful to be an introvert. So I, I, he was probably an introvert. He's he was He's probably like me, much. a little socially oblivious. Yep. It's much harder for the family. So this is much harder for my spouse, uh, you know, to watch the uh, trauma. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, I, I I knew the, the grim, grim future that I was facing in 2007. And of course, you know, that's not what happened. I uh, So I have this incredible gift. And I just feel like, you know, everyone else should know that they could decide for themselves, are vegetables risky or are vegetables pretty safe? Is meditation risky or is meditation pretty safe? Is working with a physical therapist to help you increase your physical activity risky or is that pretty safe and it's combining all three of those things risky or pretty safe and you don't have to have your neurologist fired up about that stuff Mm -hmm. but you could have a primary care doctor who's going to say you know what i'll i'll watch you for if you're going to start eating more vegetables yeah i'll watch you and and refer you if you want some help and learning how to meditate and sure, I'll give you a referral for to go see a physical therapist. So your primary care doc can be all the support that you need. Right. And that this doesn't have to be a either or. Either you do the walls therapy or you do drugs. You can do both. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no... Re-
1: So how does, so for someone who comes to you who is on the medications, they've already been diagnosed and Mm -hmm. then they hear about you and then they're like, Oh my goodness, there's a possibility that I can reduce my meds and I can be symptom free. So how do you work with, you know, or for anybody else who's listening, who's wondering about this, it's that there's a weaning off the medication
0: approach. So how do you
1: know when they're getting better?
0: So if you stop disease modifying therapy uh, abruptly, uh, the research is very clear. and The clinical experience is very clear. You can expect to have uh, activation of the immune cells. Uh, they will be hyperactive. And the person will likely experience a severe rebound of symptoms. And depending on your uh, disease state, you know, for MS, it's a severe neurologic event. For inflammatory bowel disease, it's a severe diarrhea and belly pain. For skin, it's a severe flare of red, uh, terrible uh, skin lesions. Um, uh, Rheumatoid arthritis is is severe, disabling joint pain. Yeah. So then the question is so you stay on your drugs, you begin doing the diet and lifestyle stuff. As you, if you are blessed that you discover, like, you know what, I am feeling better. My quality of life has improved. My mood, energy, mental clarity is better. And my organ-specific symptoms are less. And if, if it's your skin, that's pretty obvious. You can just look at your skin, it's better. If it's, your, if it's your joint, you can look at your joints, they're not red. If it's your brain, that's a little harder to look at. So now you're gonna to have to look at uh, sensation, motor, mood, thinking ability. Uh, and your... Uh, specialist would probably know what are the uh, lab in uh, x-ray monitoring that they could use to assess uh, for disease activity Mm -hmm. and they could say like well you know the standard assessment interval is every six months or every year or every three months again depending on your disease state and the severity of your symptoms and they'd be able to tell you that well clinically your disease is inactive and biologically, by the measures that I can assess, your disease is either active or it's inactive or stable. And then it will depend again on your age and your disease state based on the research. Like if your disease is stable in the MS world, for three years, and you're over the age of 44, staying on the drugs or going off the drugs, the risk of relapse is the same. Mm. Uh, And so for the 46-year-old who's had three years of quiet disease and no activity on the uh, blood markers and the MRI markers, Many physicians are now saying, you know what, if you want to go off your drugs, go off your drugs, because the drugs are costly and have their Mm -hmm. own uh, risk profile. We have no research that says you're on the drugs, your disease is quiet, you're really doing a good job on diet and lifestyle, you um, are safe to go off after six months or after three months or after a year. So, So we don't really know. Because none of those other studies factored in what happens if you really did diet and lifestyle. Um, That's a future study. You know, we're going to be writing those grants. That's certainly a study I would love to do is to bring everyone in on diet um, or on drugs, put them on diet and lifestyle and randomize half of them to placebo or staying on the drugs and seeing how they do.
1: So how do you randomize a, a group to placebo when you are doing a nutritional study like this? Cause you're not giving them, uh, you know, greens okay, that are so in a pill form. How do we do this? This, this,
0: this is a great question. Thank you so much. So you cannot have a randomized double blind control on a diet study, because right. obviously if when you're doing a diet and lifestyle study, the person knows what, what food they're eating and what, um, lifestyle and health behaviors you've asked them to engage in. So now you can do a controlled study where I bring you in, give you my food intervention. I could randomize you and say, I'll only train you after six, after the interval period, say six months or a year, and half of you have to wait. So right. that's called the weightless control. And if the author's written a book, they'll say, "Screw you! I'll just buy the damn book."
1: Well, that's what I was going to ask next, right? Because if (laughs) I even knew I was part of this, I'd start googling and you know figure out what is this protocol.
0: That's what we found. Uh, We tried doing a weightless control, and I found like, oh my god, this is so hard because people like, screw that! I'll just buy the book. So then the next thing we did was, uh, and this was a very controversial decision, was we randomized between two diets that are. popular in the MS community. The swank diet, which is low fat, and the walls diet, which is the um, modified paleo diet. Right. We observe people for 12 weeks, then we randomize them, and then we bring them back, uh, repeat the measures, and they have a lot of support from us for that first 12 weeks, then we ask them to continue without so much support the next 12 weeks, uh, and we measure them again. And so we'll, we'll be able to see, does diet, improve things over the observation period and then is one of these two diets better than the other right because they're both diet they're both diet protocols they're both diet protocols and they're both and they're both popular within the ms community so uh, and we don't really know which one is better so you don't have the dropout at randomization right the the next study we'll do will probably be uh, the Walls diet versus the Dietary Guidelines diet. Uh, and we will include an animal model to that diet uh, if there won't be an observation period. So we'll, so we'll try that next. Um, I, I think another study, again, that we'll be writing grants for is everybody gets diet and lifestyle. Half the folks uh, will get drugs, half the folks will be taken off their drugs. Right. And so uh, that will, uh, that will be a, um, we'll see if I can get funding for that. I think that would be a really interesting little um, uh, study. Uh, Another study that you could do would be everybody gets diet and lifestyle, newly diagnosed MS patients, right? half get drugs, half get placebo, uh, at, at startup, and you see uh, how people uh, are at one year. The other study that would be really interesting to me, you stop drugs on uh, people who are you doing diet and lifestyle. The challenge with stopping drugs is that we know that people have severe rebounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, that's going to be a, a bigger safety profile, but it's an incredibly... Um, Uh, important uh, question Uh, and maybe what you end up doing is diet and lifestyle uh, for six months and you have to demonstrate that you really have um, had a good clinical response to diet and lifestyle Uh, and if you have you stop the drugs in in, uh, a randomized fashion with those who successfully implemented diet and lifestyle uh, and then you see how they do.
1: Are your, so the uh, subjects, the participants that are coming through these studies, are they, I mean, I'm assuming they're highly motivated to find an answer to their illness, right? Because they have MS. Now, are is there, ha- because they don't follow it within a laboratory setting, I mean, they're obviously, you know, they're going home and preparing the foods on their own. Yes, yeah. And you you teach them exactly how to prepare these foods and how to cook the foods?
0: Um, No. So let me go back. In my clinics, Mm -hmm. uh, the lifestyle clinics, we'd have cooking classes. We'd have uh, mindfulness classes, meditation classes. We'd have um, uh, uh, personal mission classes, heroes classes, movement classes, cooking classes. So we did a lot of health behavior classes every month. And we had uh, group support meetings every month. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so as part of my clinic we absolutely taught all that stuff as part of my intervention because I only had people come uh you know four times in the year we couldn't do classes however in the next study that we're doing because you know I'm so impressed with the power of groups and the power of uh monthly support um it, it of course now this was took me uh, about eight months to get this through the irb and to work out how we could do this um, we are going to be able to do group calls um, so that we could have the benefit of monthly uh, teaching and a monthly discussion about what are the challenges what are the successes answering questions so that uh, people would have more success you know because from from my point of view, uh, the failure uh, or the success of our patients it has much less to do with did I order the right lab test, did I give them the right diet. It was really about their struggle to adopt and sustain the health behavior changes that I wanted them to do. And Which is a- because.
1: Which we're, is applicable to also, you know, any drug trials, right? It's also getting people yes. just to comply with taking the drugs at the right time and for the length of time that they it, need it. It's complicated. And it is complicated.
0: Getting humans to change their behavior is tough. We yeah. we are we are wired for uh pleasure, we're wired for comfort. Uh we'll uh, choose today's pleasures over tomorrow's future potential benefit. We will uh, choose avoiding loss of today's pleasures over tomorrow's future benefit. Mm-hmm. And so we have thousands of generations of hardwiring in our brain built to make those choices. So just because I spent five minutes telling you why you ought to eat more vegetables, yeah. which is what I did in a clinic. It's very hard for people to succeed. Well, so how so do you we, get we, them to succeed? So... Um, What I've learned from my vets is uh, uh, helping them uh, have a much more uh, effective behavior change model uh, by helping them tap into understanding their purpose, their why. And, And I ask them, is there something that you care or someone you care so deeply about that you would go into a burning building to save that person's life or that thing? No, they like, well, yeah, of course I do that for my kids or my wife or my grandchildren. Like, okay. So there's something that you, would, that you care that much about. And help them link now that their love for that person, that mission, to that's why they want their health. Is that, and what would you like to be doing with your grandson or your granddaughter or your daughter? Uh, and now that I know of something that I really want to be doing with my person that I love and cherish, now it's my job to teach them how my diet and lifestyle and health behavior changes will help them achieve that goal that they just told me mattered so much to them that they would run into a burning house to save Mm. that person. So that,
1: so I have to ask you, when you were diagnosed and then you started discovering food as medicine, and then you were on this mission to understand it more, what was your why for all oh, of my that? children? You Who' your children?
0: Yeah, you know, I had young kids, um, and i had it's very clear that I want my kids to be successful adults uh, emotionally and financially uh, and the uh, I thought I was going to teach them how to do that by doing martial arts and mountain climbing and kayaking, wild rivers, and that was not gonna happen. So I had to uh, think deeply about, okay, uh, what could I do? I, and I knew that they were watching me every day, and I could either model that life is difficult and you give up when things get hard, or that, yep, life is difficult, and no matter how difficult your circumstance is, you keep doing the best you can. Mm-hmm. And that uh, my kids would have more responsibilities than their peers. I remember, you know, both my kids did this at about the same age. Uh, they're really mad that they're having to do the laundry because none of their friends know anything about laundry soap or dryers or folding laundry. And it's so not fair. They're stamping their feet and they're, you know, having a high volume conversation. And the remember that's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's so not fair. It's so not fair. I understand. And you know, I feel that way too. It's so not fair that I have MS, but I have to go to work every day, uh, you know, see patients and do the best I can. And life's not fair. And, uh, I might feel sad about it. And then I pick myself up and I go do my work. And you might feel sad about your chores, but you pick yourself up because these are your chores and you're doing them. Yeah. And it's stamp their little feet and say, mom, I think you're glad you have MS so you can lecture me about chores, and of course now they are horrified that I tell that story. But you know I laugh and say, you'll tell this story to your children and your grandchildren as well." This this is uh, an age-appropriate uh, frustration that kids will experience.
1: One hundred percent, with or without having a mom with MS, right? I mean, yes. I my kids are they're in that place too. My oldest daughter now like loves having a clean house, so she's motivated because she loves having a clean house, not because I want it. And the other two definitely they stamp their feet. But it's, I mean, what? I mean, I personally think that kids nowadays anyway are not, you know, they're not out there farming and hauling hails of, you know, bales of hay and you know, sticking their arms, you know, in, you know, to support all the vet care that need needed with animals and all that labor and everything. And so kids, I think they have it easy on a lot of sense, on the physical sense, maybe tougher on the tech side, you know, their little brains are being, yeah. you know, um, hijacked, warped. hijacked, hijacked is a good word for that. So, yeah. yeah, but I think it's, I think it's great for these kids to have these physical chores that they have to do, like cleaning bathrooms and doing laundry. I, mean, and I,
0: I think it's, I think it's really important for them to have, uh, chores that are meaningful, that contribute to uh, family, um, family needs. Uh, I think uh, um, my kids had to help uh, prepare meals, uh, you know, beginning, uh, you know, they were doing this at uh, fifth and sixth grade, that uh, one meal a week, uh, they could pick out the recipe, and they were cooking with a lot of help, and of course, with steadily less help, and so now, both of my kids are very comfortable shopping, cooking, making menus and they both understand that you know recipes are are merely hints simple suggestions and that you and they're both very comfortable with okay i have this is what i have on hand and now i'm going to throw together a meal that's caribbean inspired or indian inspired or southern inspired with the ingredients that i have on hand uh in in either my freezer my refrigerator or my garden Um, these are vital skills that we parents should be teaching to all of our children so they could be successful adults.
1: A hundred percent. And I imagine that you have patience. And I think this is a really important piece about your protocol is that when somebody comes in and they have been diagnosed with MS, I mean, their families can eat the same meals, right? You're not preparing multiple meals in the house,
0: are you? My recommendation is that this is a family intervention. Right. Uh, you know, we discuss how uh, uh, the, the processed food industry is designed to create cravings and addictions. And so these foods that we've agreed are potentially quite harmful uh, to the uh, child that we're treating or the adult that we're treating. Uh, it will be far more successful if they're removed from their eating environment. So get rid of the harmful foods have more of the foods that are healing, and that's what you eat. And so this is a family intervention. Now, if someone who's not affected by the illness wants to have a indiscretion away from the eating environment and not talk about it, that's their business. But you don't come home and say like, oh my God, I had the best pizza and beer with my friends last night. It was incredible. It was Chicago deep dish amazing crust, amazing cheese, and the beer, like, oh my God, this, you, you know, that's torture.
1: Yeah.
0: So, uh, and we laugh, and we joke, uh, and uh, and then I acknowledge that, you know, some families figure out different levels of this is what you do. Some families are like, if it comes in the house, I'm throwing it away, or if it comes in the house, it has to stay on, on that shelf, or in that room, you have to eat it away, Uh, So everyone's going to negotiate that um, restriction to work within their family. That's an interesting
1: word, the word restriction, because one thing that I've definitely changed, because I see so many clients that come to me that have been on these elimination diets, and their illness is still present, you know, if they eat a little bit of anything that's not part of whatever the practitioner or whoever said, you know, stay away from this, stay away from that. I mean, their disease flares up right away, which shows to me that, you know, maybe that the body isn't really healed. Whereas when we teach about nutrifying the body through an abundance and diversity of these incredible whole foods, all of a sudden they can actually, they overcome their allergies, they overcome everything. So mm-hmm. it is a, is something I'm trying to shift with my clients. It's getting to think about the you know 150 to 250,000 different plant species that are edible and to think why not try new things like you know some people have never had turnips and some people don't know what celeriac root is and some people don't know you know even like people who have never even eaten beets or you yeah know. you
0: know I um I've had this uh big conversation over uh, my goal for everyone is 200 plant species in a year and they're like oh my god that's impossible so well This is a wonderful, wonderful family activity. Start a spreadsheet and uh, keep track of every day. What are the different plant species you're having for your teas, your spices, your vegetables? And then over time, if you get the whole family on board, your kids will likely get more excited. Like, oh, my God, what is that funny looking vegetable over there? We should bring that home. We got to try that out. We'll add that to the list. What are these different spices? And it makes it much more interesting, much more engaging. Mm -hmm. I love that. That is a really, you gamify
1: it, right? You gamify it. Yeah, I
0: love that. Whatever we measure, uh, we we can begin to change that behavior. And when we uh, decide that we're going to add diversity, we're uh, adding to the information, the signals that speak to our genes that are turning on and off, we're adding to the information that can help me process and eliminate uh, toxins. We're adding to the information that helps me uh, optimize and tune up uh, my cellular efficiency, the signals uh, for repairing and healing, uh, my blood brain barrier, my synapses. Uh, so uh, lots of reasons to have the diversity. And again, if I if I think about Brunhilde uh, and uh, Beowulf, you know, thousands of generations ago uh, there's plenty of evidence that our ancestors would have had, and it didn't matter if our ancestors were from Europe or Africa or Australia or Asia or the Americas, they were probably having 200-plus plant species that they consumed in a year. Exactly. And of course, it was you know local, seasonal, and it varied with the seasons and with their own personal migrations, uh, but they had tremendous diversity. Yeah. And...
1: I know for people who are listening that you're probably thinking, Oh, I get diversity as well. But for anybody who's on Keep a track. standard American diet, you know, like you're from corn central USA, you know, you have such an abundance of corn, but for most people in the world right now, they, who are, who are living standard American standard European diet. I mean, they're
0: not eating yeah, more it's, than it's f- it's five corn, different ingredients, peas, right? Corn peas, carrots, potatoes, onions, green beans and then they're pretty stuck after that.
1: Yeah and then maybe the other stuff is like wheat and sugar and oil yeah. refined oils and do refined yeah. salt and refined sugar so there's not much diversity in the north typical north american diet and that's what we're saying we need to change that like you need to get to the produce section you need to you know look at look at it as a fun game where you're you know turn your head just even 1 degree to the left or to the right and you might actually see a vegetable there that you've never even eaten before and just put it in the basket google it figure out how to make a recipe with it and
0: then you know away you go
1: right it doesn't have to be hard
0: and then you could go down the tea aisle like okay let's try some of these herbal teas and be the ingredients like oh my god there's a bunch of interesting little herbs there and teas have and so it's a such a pleasant easy way to add more uh, diversity into your diet Amazing. Let's chat about your book
1: because you have your new book coming out, which is the all new and improved um, Dr. Terry. uh,
0: Yeah.
1: Hold it right up there. The wall's protocol. Amazing. And it's not just for reversing multiple sclerosis. It's for chronic degenerative diseases of all kinds as well. Yes, Would you say yes? Yes. Okay, good. And so anybody who's listening to this, um, let's before we dive into how it's new and improved, let's just go back to help people understand multiple sclerosis and the connection between gut health and our microbiome, because it is an autoimmune disorder, correct?
0: Yes, yes. So it's a problem in the brain and the spinal cord uh, where uh, the immune cells appear to be attacking the the insulation on the wiring uh, that goes around uh, the uh, connections between one brain's cell and the next one Uh, and when you have an acute breakdown that's called a relapse if you see an MRI that'll be an acute white lesion and then over time uh, there's scarring uh, and the disability becomes fixed and steadily worse difficulty walking, uh, needing a cane, walker, wheelchair and there's a lot more appreciation now that cognitive decline is very common visual loss uh, is very common uh, a difficulty with the autonomic nervous system so that's the part of the nervous system that happens automatically in the background it regulates uh, blood pressure uh, uh, heart uh, rate uh, uh, blood flow vessel uh, swallowing uh, digestion and so the longer you have MS the more difficult uh, that becomes and you know, we say, you know, we don't really know. There seems to be maybe some triggering infection. We don't know what bacteria or viruses do that. It interacts with unknown environmental factors. Uh, there are maybe 200 to 300 different genes that will increase your risk ever so slightly. So the vast majority of someone who gets that gene does not get the disease. So each gene might increase your risk a half percent, one percent, okay. maybe two percent. At really the, the most uh, potent genes. Um, and so, another the other thing is that because these these damaged spots in my brain and spinal cord are um, unique to the person, the clinical signs and symptoms for each individual person are unique to them. It's sort of like a fingerprint. So no one's individual course or individual physical findings will be the same.
1: And have you had an MRI
0: since healing? I'm assuming you've had. I've had, you know, I've had a couple, you know, the yeah. first time that, you know, I, I'm sort of a scamp. Uh, the first time I called my neurologist when things are better, I called up uh, the clinic you know, there's been a, a big change. I really ought to be seen. So they want to see me that day. I said, well, no, no, I, I'll come on Friday. No, 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 we should see you now. I said, no, no, Friday will be fine. So I, I come in on Friday. I walk in and I see the nurse coming out, sort of walking around, looking around, and I think I bet she's looking for me. So I stand up, go, "Hey, hey, Cindy, over here!" your <laughs> walls. Where's your wheelchair? I said, oh, you yeah, actually yeah. And so I just walked in. Uh, so my neurologist was stunned. He was so excited with uh, how how uh, remarkably I would improved. Said, so, "Okay, let's get your MRI." Uh, NMRI showed no change. Uh, And uh, so he talked to me and said, you know, I guess that was probably naive to think that lesions you've had for seven years are going to go away, so this doesn't make sense. But, Terry, I I want to reassure you, you're obviously clinically doing very well. You've rewired your brain, so um, we can do this, you know, practically. So so I've had a couple more since. I've told my neurologist I'm not interested in in having any more since clinically. I continue to improve. When I when I last saw my neurologist, that would have been a couple of weeks ago. I it's sort of like, well, um, what can you do now? So I I dropped down, I did 10 push-ups on my toes. I go, okay, that's enough. <laughs> and it's okay, how about vertical leaps? So I did 10 vertical leaps. Said, okay, that's enough. I said, How about staying one foot? And so I did that. And I said, I could do it with my eyes closed. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> you're good. That's fine. (laughs) And
1: so, okay. So this part I think is really critical for people to know is that, um, you know, I love the book, The Brain That Changes Itself. I don't know if you've read that book. Yes. That's a lovely book. Yeah. A really wonderful book for people to understand how I mean, our brain, I mean, is really underutilized for the most part. And it's so brilliant because it can rewire around
0: damaged scar tissue areas. It well, it, and it wants to, you yes. just have to do it. You have to practice. You have to work at it. Now, uh, fortunately, you know, I was an athlete before becoming a physician. Uh, and so I was, I was very comfortable with working training. And even though my, my, uh, Neurologist was not sending me to physical therapy. I just sent myself, like okay, so I kept going to see a physical therapist, um, and I'd gotten a physical therapist who worked with the athletes, hmm. and convinced him to work with me, uh, and we started doing E stem, uh, and uh, I was sort of not a lot was happening, but then when I changed my diet, i started getting stronger. Then it was dramatic, but I I worked at it. I worked incredibly hard at it, um, very much like an athlete, very much like someone who's in intensive rehab. But the results were amazing. The results are amazing. And I still work at it. I still have, um, I I do about two and a half hours every day of self care between my meditations, my uh, physical training, uh, and then uh, my sauna is my treat at the end. Wow. And then I start my my, uh, work day.
1: Right. And then, so you do two and a half hours before you start your work day. Yes. So you are really prioritizing your why, that you want to be there for your kids. So you are prioritizing your health so that you can be there and nothing comes before that. I, I mean, I love that, which
0: is it, huge. It, it, it took a long while to, to do that. And you would probably helped me out a lot uh, as I w- have a, was having a bigger and bigger impact traveling the world I couldn't take that many speaking gigs because I was working full time. And I you know, finally got to the point like, okay, if I really want to create this epidemic of health, I have to create more time in my schedule so I could be willing to do more uh, speaking gigs. I And so I made the decision to leave the VA, which, which I loved. I mean, I, I, there was a lot that I really liked about the VA. Um, continue my research at the U because I I think it's so important to have research uh, Mm. uh, of uh, the Walls protocol and that freed up time to travel around the world. And then when I made that decision, I'm like, and I'm going to, you know, get my workouts in every day. I, and then, I decided like, okay, you know, not uh, I can start my day at nine. And so, and you know, what I discovered was like, well, well, one, I kept getting stronger. Two, I'm far more effective at work. Totally. When I I do all that self care, it's like, wow, that's really interesting. And it takes us a long
1: time to learn that, right? Like,
0: it takes us a very long time. Yeah. You know, I I think. an interesting idea is that if you get up at four in the morning to do your workouts, cause you know, you should do your workout, but you don't go to bed early enough. So you're getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. It's like you're, ste- you're stepping over thousand dollar bills to pick up pennies. Right. Yeah. That's a oh, very good workout.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's critical. Cause the sleep is so important, right? It's when our brain actually, it's the one organ that doesn't detoxify during the day, but it it actually can regenerate and heal and cleanse itself. At nighttime, when we are sleeping. So, it's so critical to have that sleep. And so, some so, people, correct. yeah. So, we do have to prioritize. And it might mean letting go of the things that are not serving you at all, that are not contributing to your health. So, you know, it could be, you know, a lot of people are wasting time hanging out with people they don't even like very much, but they do it because they want to be social. And maybe it's, you know, choosing your friends more
0: in the, intimately. In this- Absolutely, it is, can be a huge challenge to figure that out um, mm-hmm. and uh, probably make incremental commitments to doing a better job of self-care. And, uh, uh, unfortunately for me, uh, I have the trigeminal neurologist, so the, the consequence of inadequate self-care and in my uh, neurology train on are so painful. Mm-hmm. that I, I can't walk, I can't talk, I can't function, that I'm like, okay, I have to do a better job of self-care because, you know, I just had another round of, of face pain. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting down with my wife saying like, okay, what do you think the trigger was? And what do you think, uh, where's my opportunity for improvement? And so over time, you know, uh, I I came to prioritize the, the self-care like okay I, um, that's under my control I, c- I can do that getting into bed you know between nine and nine thirty I can control that exactly <laughs> reading for a little bit and turning off the light I can control that and that you know now i'm I'm uh, you know happy enough that I don't have to set my alarm I just wake up uh, occasionally uh, after jack but usually before I you know wake up and uh, start my self-care routine and off I go.
1: Yeah. And it is a learning process. So for when people are listening to this and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I have to change my diet. I have to do physiotherapy and I need to start meditating. And especially if, you know, people have not done any of those three things. So what does that look like for a typical patient who wants to do the Walls protocol?
0: Yeah. So, you know, the first thing I acknowledge is changing behavior incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we really want you to help understand why you want to do this because mm-hmm. it, it will be uncomfortable. Uh, you'll go through some withdrawal and cravings and, and, uh, for you to be willing to give up today's pleasures for tomorrow's benefit is a, is a big ask. So let's talk about, uh, what is your why in life? What do you want your health for? Uh, what's your personal mission? And it, this big clarifying exercise is, is there's a house on fire. Is there anything that you care so much about that you would be willing to go into that house to save that person or to save that thing? Mm -hmm. And if there's nothing, I'm gonna have a very hard time for that person. But if I can find something that they're like, well, my kids, my grandchild, okay? Now I'm very optimistic that that person will be very successful. I, and so then we go through some exercises to help them type into um, their why and help inspire them as to, as healing as possible, mechanisms that they can understand, because I've got a metaphor that fits for their background. I, and then uh, and I've done a little timeline to understand their health journey and what interventions will likely have the highest impact. And so we might start with a Mediterranean-type diet, or we might start with level one of my diet, or I might start with uh, meditation. Uh, So we're going to negotiate what's the first um, uh, intervention that we're going to do uh, and the next actionable step that they could take towards that intervention. Now, in the VA, if they wanted to work with me and my team and be part of our groups, they had to commit to being gluten-free, dairy-free, egg-free, and lots of vegetables. And so we had a plan for the vegetarian and vegans, and we had a different plan for the meat eaters. If they were like, that really sounds too hard. I just don't think I can do that. I'm like, okay, then I'm going to have you meet with a dietitian who will work with you to improve the quality of your diet at at the pace that you can manage. And when you're ready come on back right. or, or like, you know, the, this just sounds too hard. I'm not raising. We understand it may not be the right time in your life. When it is talk to your uh, primary care doctor, or your specialist and have them send you back. Right. I, I don't argue with my patients. They're ready yeah. to make changes and then we'll facilitate the changes at the pace that they can manage. But if they're not ready, that's fine. I'm not, I've, I have to have a long line waiting to come see me. It's like, you know, that's fine. Come back when you are. Yeah. And this is a part that took me a long time to
1: get over is the fact that why are you not ready like come on like the pain of your illness has got to be so excruciating that you know it can it has to be more than the pain of making the behavior change so for me i was like i'd be working with the person to be like trying to figure out their why trying to figure out their everything and it was it was painful for me and then finally once i let that go and i realized you know what i got to save my energy for the people who are ready because like ready. you said there's a lineup of 233,000 north americans who have a chronic disease right now and you know a good portion Absolutely. of them are ready so you know that took me a long time so for any doctors and you know healthcare workers and um you know coaches out there that are listening to this i mean try and avoid what i went through which was the like where it was the almost like the um
0: you know the, it, i don't it, know we have to let, we have to let it go we it, do. it's their it, it's their journey they will have to uh discover this um, you know, you think of your brother or your sister who has a problem with uh, tobacco or alcohol uh, and is engaging in some uh, addictive behaviors that you wish they wouldn't, but you probably still love them, mm-hmm. uh, and you still want to help them uh, at, and be supportive, and when they're ready to quit, you can be more effective help, uh, you want to be careful that you're not enabling bad decisions but not everyone can beat their addiction
1: and food is an addiction people need to understand that and that's a part that I think is hard cuz a lot of people they don't really realize that that they are well privy you know, to the ingredients in that processed food and it is a drug and especially when they're giving it to their children i mean it's a powerful it's drug for your children as a drug.
0: yeah the the tobacco industry diversified into the food industry and they are and they are able to hire food scientists that are very adept at using food like chemicals to create cravings dependencies uh, and uh, increase the uh, addictive nature of the products that are consumed and the fast food industry is good at this the manufactured food industry is good at this uh and we we are absolutely just dist- allowing for the destruction of our economies Mm -hmm. uh, and the destruction of our societies because our governments uh, were unable to regulate the food industry. And they're not going to be able to, it's just not going to happen. Um, Fortunately, with uh, people like you and and me that are out there uh, teaching the public and the people who are ready uh to understand that we can do these radical things known as preparing our own food meditating walking moving that we can create health by our own choices so yes yeah we that's can do amazing
1: this. and as a result of doing this and the people making those changes we make changes to our soil quality and our agricultural systems and food security and we change societies because as you know, people are recovering from these mental health condition or these, sorry, chronic, you know, what looks like a physical chronic condition from like the neck down, they're also healing mentally as well. Yes. And when people yes. heal mentally, that is when we start making different decisions in our society and we have more loving relationships. We have people working in the environments that they are inspired to work in as opposed to not even have the energy to like, you know, think of doing something else or going back to school or changing their careers or, you know, so we see everything shift on an economic, on a social, on an environmental level. Um, And that's the part that really excites me about this work that you're doing and that I'm doing.
0: You know, Mark uh, Hyman's uh, written a book that's just come out to uh, Food Fix uh, that explores the relationship between food policy, health, uh, economic policy. And I'm very, very impressed with that book. Uh, You know, I've been looking globally at the rise of a much more um, conservative uh, sort of uh, right-wing efforts, political points of view, more uh, irritability, rage uh, in a lot of our uh, political system. Uh, And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about uh, food quality, uh, uh, microglia activation, uh, impulse control issues, uh, again, tied to food quality, and so if I, I it makes me wonder if uh, some of the shift in the rise in this uh, rage and anger in the political system that I think is leading leading towards more right wing governments it, is tied into the deterioration of the food quality, and uh, tied into uh, increased microglia activation, uh, loss of impulse control. Uh, and so, you know, hopefully, uh, as our society is also learning more about self-care and uh, the role of food behaviors, that we'll see uh, better communication in our political system, uh, because in order to solve these big crises that we ha- we have, all of us internationally, yeah, we need political leaders that can talk to one another listen to one another and come to reasoned solutions that don't involve a lot of rage i love that And i know for people who are listening they're like what how did you
1: just tie in <laughs> you know diet to our political system but it's it, i've seen it Hundreds and hundreds of times with my clients that have healed, and especially among the men, they're the ones who actually recognize it even more. That they come to me after when they're healed from their diabetes and their heart disease and whatever other inflammatory conditions are happening in their body. And the number one thing they say to me is, Wow, if I had, you know, done this. 20 years ago, I would never have gone off to war because they don't have that rage. They don't have that Mm -hmm. um, anger flare up anymore. They don't feel on edge and anxious. And not only that, but by developing a relationship to food, they also develop a relationship to their local farmer, they develop a relationship to the land, Mm -hmm. to nature. And then all of a sudden that shifts their perspective. And they're like, and one in particular, he had wanted to take his life. He was in the British air forces. Um, he had, you know, all of these mental health and physical health conditions. And he came back afterwards and we actually did a podcast where he said, he was like, we are all one. And he said we are all connected and he wouldn't have been able to realize that if he hadn't healed using food as medicine and that floored me that you know he had that epiphany
0: i mean i I think it is a uh, driver into why there's so much rage uh in the world and i see rage going on uh, here uh on the u.s side uh on the left there's a lot of rage and anger Uh, and uh, there's a lot of rage and anger uh, on the right and I uh, look at uh, Europe and South America Uh, there's so much more uh, of that and uh, we know nationally in the US uh, and in Europe I I I don't know in South America but I'm guessing it's true that the quality of the diet has continued to deteriorate that uh, there's fewer vegetables uh, that there's uh, more uh, sugar, processed food, more fast food, and so, of course, uh, this is only a theory, but I certainly speculate that uh, uh, the two are interconnected. Now, I, I, hands down feel the same
1: way. And I mean, right now, because I'm in the middle of my PhD, and I'm in a social sciences PhD, this is exactly the type of topic that, you know, I can research. Um, And yeah, no, it's a very, for anybody, any other students out there who are looking for a dissertation topic, this is a good one to take on 100%. And there's enough scientific evidence to show the mechanisms of action in the brain and in the body when we are depleted of nutrients that you would find the scientific Um, you know, the biological explanation of that in addition to being able to then extrapolate into our, you know, political and social systems and draw those conclusions as well. I think it would be an incredible study for someone. So let's you know i i mean i can talk to you for sure for the next six hours straight and i'm sure our (laughs) listeners want to listen to you for the next six hours straight but i want to know let's wrap this up by talking about your book and talk about how it is new and improved where people can find it what are the changes that have been made the additions um and i'm sure there's been a few tweaks i'm sure since you first wrote the book years ago sure
0: So uh, it's out on March 17th. So wherever uh, books are sold, you can go to my website, terrywalls.com. We'll have links uh, to online uh, stores there as well. Uh, The new stuff, uh, number one, uh, great information on uh, the behavior change model that we've been discussing uh, because the struggle is how do we successfully deal with these food addictions and these behavior addictions Uh, and to get, you to be more successful as you go from your current disease-promoting health behaviors to health-promoting behaviors. Uh, I think that's very helpful. Then on the diet side, I have a much more robust uh, uh, program for you so that you can personalize this to address your histamine issues, your oxalate, uh, FODMAP issues if you have that. Um, We talk about the elimination diet in more detail who would benefit from this more restrictive elimination diet, uh, and then how to reintroduce foods back in. Uh, Ketosis uh, is much more popular now than it was when I first wrote about it uh, six years ago. Um, But I talk about how uh, to enter ketosis, what labs to monitor to know that you're doing it safely, and how you can decide which fats are appropriate for you A lot of the uh, current ketogenic diets stress eggs uh, and dairy, which I I have big problems with. Uh, So I talk about why you might want to use uh, medium-chain triglycerides or MCT oil, uh, why you might want to use olive oil and how to decide uh, which would be better for you. And then we talk about the fact that there are many ways to be in ketosis. Uh, There is the high-fat diet. uh, There is time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting, periodic fasts. Uh, talk about metabolic switching and uh, why that may be as effective or perhaps more effective than long-term ketosis. We talk stem cells. Uh, What is the role of stem cells for serious um, systemic autoimmune conditions that are not responding to therapy? What are the current approved indications? What are the research indications? And what could you do to boost stem cells now? Without spending hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, and risking uh, uh, the induction phase for stem cells. Uh, We talk about longevity. Who who would not enjoy looking and feeling five years younger, 10 years younger, 15 years younger? Uh, And we talk about uh, resilience how to improve your emotional resilience, how to improve your metabolic resilience. Uh, and then we talk about, uh, of course, you know, some of the research updates, epigenetics, uh, microbiome, uh, neurorehabilitation. I'll tell you about the research that's been going on in my lab, what we've done thus far, uh, and how after being, you know, called a crackpot, dangerous, and a variety of other unsavory names, that I'm now being held, heralded as this brilliant visionary in getting these international awards uh, for my work. So uh, it, it certainly uh, to me is an incredibly hopeful, hopeful book. Uh, you'll see my transformation as a patient, as a researcher, uh, you'll see the, uh the transformation of our, our other patients uh, in our clinics and in our followers. Uh, And you'll have metaphors that I think will work for you because I I, I use metaphors for a variety of uh, vocational backgrounds. So hopefully you can find some metaphors in my book that will resonate deeply with you uh, and the various tribes that you serve. That is an incredible synopsis. And I know from
1: having read your your original book when it first came out that it is, I mean, you want to devour it because there's just so much good information and you don't have to have a science background. You don't have to you know know any of the terminology. I mean, you explain it so well. So I can just imagine that this new and improved version is going to be, I'm going to read it like page. It'll know, be word fun. For, it'll be fun. It's going to be incredible. The one piece that you actually just reminded me of that I just want to touch on for people who um, have have heard Dr. Walz's journey is that, you know, you were an N of one. You were just an anecdotal story 10 years ago, right? And we hear all the time people saying, oh, well, there haven't been any studies done. And we hear people saying, well, that's just an anecdote. And, you know, a lot of (laughs) physicians will say this. A lot of researchers will disregard any of these N of ones. Whereas it is the N of one, you are that N of one that has now become an N of thousands, tens right. of thousands, yeah. hundreds of thousands, millions. And this is so important for people to stop and think about this so that never again will you disregard that N of one. It doesn't mean you have to jump in head first into whatever they did, oh. but, but you should get curious and think like when you I saw curious. your, yeah, I saw your TED talk and I'm like, Hot dang, this woman is onto something. What is it? I don't know, but let's think about it. And it, and it's what opened me up to want to learn more and to then research even more and then to follow even further. And because I stuck by your side and thousands of other people stuck by your side, it's what allowed you to then get the funding for your studies and to do all of that. And it and now you're no longer that end of one. Like you are changing the world. You
0: know, and this is how. Medical advances happen. You have someone who's alert enough to say this is an interesting case. They publish it. Then they publish a case series, which is which is what I did. Case case one, then case series. Then we, if someone says, well, let's do a little small pilot study, and we manage to secure funding, we get the little small pilots safety study. And like, oh my God, that was pretty good too. Then we get a randomized study, and then another randomized study, and then another randomized study. That is how all advances happen exactly uh, it's a lot of work it's a grind. You need to find someone who's willing to ignore the outside noise and do the grind and fortunately I, you know I, I, I feel this moral obligation uh, to the thing that, that is remarkable is that and that's really got people upset at the university. Uh, In addition to doing the grind of doing the research, I'm telling the public what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and my theories. And my scientific colleagues are like, no, 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 you you can't do it that way. You'll never get more funding. You'll not be taken serious. People will steal your ideas. And and I thought, you know, it'll take, you know, 10, 20 years for my ideas to be accepted and people will be demented in nursing homes and dead. Uh, And they don't need to be. So I'm gonna tell them at the same time and they can decide you know, for themselves how, how safe or potentially harmful my ideas are. And I will get funding. And what we discovered and what the university discovered was as I was seeing um, having a huge impact on the lives of people who had money, they're calling the university because they go to my website and saw that I had a fund Uh, to support my research. They called the university and say, we'd like to make a uh, donation to the Walls Research Lab. So the third time they had a six-figure donation come in, I had an appointment in my calendar with the dean of the medical school. I thought, oh, dear God, what did I do now? And it's like, okay, Dr. Walls, this has never happened. Tell me more about your research. Right. Uh, And so that's how I got uh, all my, my original, my first three pilot studies going, that, that was all funded by uh, philanthropy. The next big study was funded by the MS Society. Uh, and now the uh, next study that we're doing, again, funded by uh, philanthropy, because I'm doing the most innovative work. And we're, we're, and we're writing other studies to take, to analyze the, because um, I, I have mountains of data. I have mountains of frozen biologic specimens that we're writing grants uh for to get analyzed and so uh we have some high scores so we're going to get some very interesting analyses done on a bunch of frozen blood be great because then we will understand the mechanisms of what was it that i changed what was it biologically that i changed that allowed for all that self-healing to occur great questions that will be fun to analyze that is so exciting,
1: and so exciting for me because I know I I talk about this you know um, a lot in our podcast. The fact that you know I've really struggled to figure out what my dissertation topic for my PhD is going to be on, and um, and I finally have arrived, and I'm very excited because it's really centered around it's it's a lot has a lot to do with the behavior change needed in those uh, paradigm shifts and worldview shifts that need to happen in order to allow somebody with a chronic disease to want to adopt a lifestyle. Oh, change it's exactly and so one of the ways that we're kicking it off because everything's intertwined with my business as well with my and the PhD research I'm doing is that I'm getting on my bike and I'm riding and running to California leaving from Canada going down to California and we're going to be speaking and all along the way um, and teaching all along the way and introducing um, because I couldn't settle on one chronic illness because it's not you know, when you're doing this lifestyle change, it's not treating the disease, it's treating the body. It's building it's resilience. Of, it's creating health. And so I couldn't choose one topic to study. And everybody kept on saying, well, why don't you just design a, you know, a pilot clinical trial and do that? And I said, I can't, I just can't do that for this. I need to, it needs to be that broader discussion that we have to treat the body, not treat the disease. And so by doing this, you know, I'm going to be on this tour and talking about you and talking about the Shazai team and their research around, you know, reversing Alzheimer's using plant-based whole food as medicine. We're going to be talking, you know, about all of the different type two diabetes and the work that the specialists in type two diabetes and type one diabetes are doing, and the results they're getting by, you know, changing diet and showing that diet has to do with everything. But I love that your story, and again, for anybody out there who's thinking about going to school or doing a master's thesis or doing a PhD or even just thinking about how science is done, it's important to know that it is done in these yours were never baby steps like yours were massive steps i'll say but you know they were giant steps um but it is done by all of these sequential steps in these orders and it starts you know small and gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it takes time and as i'm saying this to tell other people that i'm i'm just reassuring myself that okay nikki this is just it just takes time which is very helpful and it takes time in the healing, but what I love about the work that you do and the love I, the work I do is you see the results pretty quickly, don't you? Like You're not waiting years
0: for them. Correct. So uh, improving mood, improving mental clarity, improving energy, that people often can tell things are going in the right direction uh, in a month's time and very clearly in three months time. Being able to ride a bike again, being able to have better motor function, that's going to take Uh, longer, more work, uh, uh, and it can be done. But but yes. But even
1: then, we're still talking, you know, months, we're not talking about countless years. Correct. Right. And so if you think about how long you're going to live with that illness, if you don't do anything versus putting the time in now to get those long term if, if
0: you were in a uh, major accident and had uh, multiple long, bro- uh, long bones fractured, you had to go through rehab, uh, out, or had a stroke, had to go through rehab, people understand that we'd go to a rehab center and you'd be working with phys- uh, a bunch of physical therapists probably six to eight hours a day. You'd be working your ass off way harder than athletes Yeah. But because you would do all of that work reteaching your brain and your muscles how to work you again you get so much function back We can help our people with chronic disease get their function back by creating health getting the cellular milieu addressed and then helping them bit by bit to begin retraining their muscles their brain connection to their muscles and doing the work and we we see marvelous results that you is have incredible. to work at it but yes, you have to work, work at, at, it. at it so marvelous results
1: so to wrap it up let's talk about the one biggest piece that everybody comes to me with and that is money okay how yeah. so you know if you don't have any money if you are you know I mean, you're still technically getting food from somewhere because you're eating a couple times a day, but if you don't have any money, can you still do this program? How can you succeed on this program?
0: The the wonder is that I worked in the VA, uh, the Veteran Affairs Hospital uh, here in the U.S., Uh, and the clinic that I ran was the Therapeutic Lifestyle Clinic. Uh, uh, Most of my patients were living on food stamps. They were disabled. They had very fixed incomes. Uh, and in the VA, I could not do any fancy functional medicine testing. The first couple of years, I was in the traumatic brain injury clinic. And I had no lab testing. I just got 20 minutes twice a year. I, and uh, I got people inspired to begin cooking at home, uh, adapting the walls diet. And again, as I mentioned, I had either the meat eating or the vegetarian vegan version uh, for that. And then in the uh, therapeutic lifestyle clinic, uh, we saw people with uh, Uh, complex medical problems. Again, no money, uh, living on food stamps. We'd have cooking classes, uh, meditation classes, movement classes, and teach them how to shop, how to make menus, how to follow a recipe, how to work without a recipe. Uh, And yeah, people lived in rural Iowa, shopping in their local grocery stores. And they started out eating conventional food, canned food, frozen food, conventional meat. And we talk about improving the quality of your food according to what you can afford. And these folks would begin gardening. They'd begin growing foods in pots. They would have their friends who were hunters drop off meat. They began going to the farmer's markets they'd going to the farmers at the market and say like, you know, at the end of the market, when everything's done, what's the best price you'll give me to take everything you got left. And so my, my bets were, were teaching me that you could live on food stamps and implement the protocol and get amazing results. You could uh, get amazing results uh, eating conventional foods. It helped a lot to have support groups. It helped a lot to have peer to peer interactions, to have sort of mentors and sponsors. And, uh, but the, the, key, the key thing is you're going to have to learn how to cook at home. Yeah. Uh, and so f- finding someone who can help you uh, with that. Uh, we, we certainly had uh, uh, a lot of uh, meals and courses that we taught. Uh, that were actually vegetarian, vegan, even for the meat eaters, to make it more affordable for them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if anyone tries to tell me that they can't do it because they can't do functional medicine testing, I, my response is: I did it uh, in the VA for four years with zero functional medicine testing. They tell me they can't afford it because they can't go to Whole Foods. And I tell them, and I did it in the VA with patients living on food stamps. In rural Iowa, going to rural grocery stores. So, yes, you can certainly do that. I said, they don't know how to cook. Uh, I said, well, come to some cooking classes. And we show people, um, uh, do food demos, cooking demos. We we have them help cook, Uh, uh, talk about uh, instant pots, pressure cookers, uh, and um, slow cookers. And so we've had tremendous success food uh, um, it money is not a barrier I love that
1: that is an incredible way to wrap up the show because we have i don't think we've left any rocks unturned in in this podcast um, really, I think for anybody who's listening you know, there's not a lot to stop you from doing this, but the first thing you need to do is understand your why, and then you can get going. First things first, get Dr. Terry Wall's book because that is going to describe, yeah, show that book one more time. Awesome. It's a beautiful cover, by the way. I love it.
0: Thank you. We're very pleased with it too.
1: Yeah, it's gorgeous. And um, get that book. Also buy it as a gift for your loved ones as well. A lot of times, you know, we're afraid when somebody comes to us and they just tell us that they've been diagnosed with something like MS or type two diabetes. And, you know, we feel, we feel terrible and we don't know what to say and we don't know what to do, or we want to jump in and tell them what to do. I mean, just keep it super simple. You don't even have to say anything, order the book for them, let it arrive at their house and then just tell them, you know, Hey, I love you. I care about you. I listened to this great podcast um, with Dr. Terry Walls, whether it was on the Rich World podcast or whether it was our podcast or whoever's podcast and, you know, and just start giving them information in a non-pushy way and let them take in the information to make the decision for themselves, show up at their house, cook them one of the Walls protocol meals. Um, That's another good way to introduce them. So they don't think that they're going to be eating like, you know, scary fried octopus tentacles or, you know, Anything like that, you know, show them that it's just really real easy food that you can acquire for most grocery stores and you can make it yourself and then, you know, allow people to have the information and don't be afraid to share it for sure. Thank you, Dr. Walls. It has been such a pleasure again. uh, You are a light in this world and I'm so excited to follow you for the next 10 years and see the magic you're going to be creating in the lab, in your patients, um, you know, with your patients and with the general public as well. Thank you. But before we wrap up, uh, tell me about your health practitioner training program, because I know that you offer that as well.
0: Yeah, so we train uh, physicians, health coaches, nutrition professionals, and other health professionals on how to implement the WALS protocol. Uh, we also uh, give them really detailed uh, insight into the WALS behavior change model, which I would mentioned earlier is just so important to help your patients be much more successful at adopting and sustaining uh, behavior change. Uh, In addition to that, uh, we have the Walls Protocol Seminar, which is a um, program we have hundreds of people come to every year, again, teaching them the principles of diet uh, and lifestyle behavior change to get control of their health, improve their health, reduce the symptoms of their disease uh, we we laugh, we sing, we dance. Uh, it's really a, a wonderful, wonderful time.
1: Amazing. Awesome. We'll put those links in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Terry Walls. Isn't she inspirational? And she's an incredible wealth of knowledge. And she's a mom who was able to reverse her chronic disease amidst a crazy busy lifestyle, amidst having to take care of kids, amidst you know all the things that she sees on a day to day basis as a researcher and a physician. So if you're thinking you don't have the time or the money to do this, you know think again because what have you got to lose? You have years to lose with your loved ones. You have years to lose achieving your dreams in this gorgeous world that does come with a finite, or it is a finite um, lifespan, but we can lengthen that lifespan. You know, whether it's to 95 years, 100 years, people can live to 107. You know, don't you wanna have those years of your life where you're living well? as opposed to living with a chronic illness. So no more excuses, get Dr. Terry Wall's book, get our book, Eat Real to Heal, and learn about using food as medicine so you can turn your life around and turn the health around for your family as well. Okay, everyone, bye for now. Thanks for being with us, stay tuned for the next show.